0: I guess um, this past couple of weeks has been really significant, hasn't it? Sochi 2014, it's been for many people, I guess for many, it's been the pinnacle of the past four years. It's been an absolute, focused, blinkered, 100% commitment, day in, day out, day in, day out, just for this few days. I was, uh, we've taken a bit of a fancy, haven't we, in this country now to curling. We're all into curling. Um, Quite amazing, really. I remember the first time we saw curling, the idea of getting a brush on the ice seemed really strange. And now we all love it. And uh, it's a fantastic sport to watch, um, if you're into that kind of thing. And uh, curling. But listening to the girls who were uh, successful medalists, talking about the past few years as curlers... Um, through the uh, off season, I don't know what the off season is for curling, is it? I don't know. Is it when there's no ice? Don't know. Whatever it is. Through the off season, in the gym, twice a day. Twice a day in the gym for curling. And I thought, wow, that's, that is just an amazing commitment, isn't it? The end result of it is that um, there is huge recognition. And that seems important to us as human beings, doesn't it? To be recognized, to be valued, to be respected, whatever it might be. It's an interesting idea, isn't it? We value it hugely. We also love the idea of being successful over and above others. We have that written into us in some way. It's interesting that the Bible, um, on a number of occasions, uses metaphors... Paul uses metaphors um, which are descriptive of the Christian walk as being like an athlete. Being like an athlete who's competing, who is absolutely committed to the idea of competing in this race. But you ask yourself, well, Paul, okay, committed to what? How should we live? What kind of commitment? should we give to the life that we live? This message that Jesus preached was His starter, really, of explanation. It's an explanation of a radically different way of living. It's not... The Christian faith isn't something, if you've, if you've got this in mind, it isn't something which happens for a couple of hours on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, n- just like curling isn't something that happens for an hour and a half on the ice, uh, however many matches they play during the Olympics. Curling is actually years and years and years of commitment. Years and years of living it out. The Christian faith is exactly that. That's the picture that Paul uses. It is about living out day by day. It is about a life which is lived walking in faithfulness, to God. And Jesus comes along and that really is his explanation in the very first message that Matthew puts in in his account of the life of Jesus. As he explains, you've looked in the past at standards of living and you've created for yourselves sets of rules. Your religious elite The Pharisees have created these sets of rules as they've studied and worked through the the, uh, Old Testament, the message of God to his people. They've created these sets of rules and they've made those sets of rules, if you like, uh, tick boxes outside of your personal heart experience. So if you do this, if you do that, if you do this, if you do that, then you're okay. And Jesus came along, and essentially what this is saying is, it is not about a set of tick boxes outside, it is about my heart commitment to a pattern of living. It's a way of life. It is so written into me that it's not out there, it's in here. It's my heart change. That means, that means that it is in one sense a massive commitment, a day-to-day life commitment, but it is not equally a pass or fail. <laughs> because the, 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 the victory, the success, the pass-fail has already been worked out in Jesus. So it's, it's actually not about ticking those boxes, it's about living this out. Now what we find is that as God works in us little by little, as the Holy Spirit deals with us little by little, we change, we are reshaped, we we are different to what we once were. And there are some people whose Christian walk, they come to faith in Jesus, and it's like they are on um, a Holy Spirit-empowered, jet-propelled journey through life. Their life changes so radically and everybody around them can see it. It, it's, It's completely transformed and their journey is stratospheric. And there are others of us who come to faith and our journey is bumbling along the bottom. We're kind of just, we're fighting day by day. Now, the reality is that those who seem to be on this, a bit like the Apostle Paul, on this stratospheric journey, they actually feel as though they're bumbling along the bottom. They feel as though they're a messed up wreck. Uh, and then there's others of us who know that we're messed up wrecks and we feel it day by day. But you know, the reality is, and I want to encourage you with this as we start on this, uh, this um, particular section this evening, want to encourage you that if you are day by day putting your faith in Jesus success and struggling day by day and recognizing that you're bumbling along the bottom the reality is that you are progressing that you are walking day by day the walk of life because you know and I know when we are walking in that way it is not our ability to do it, is it? We know we're struggling. We know we're bumbling along. And the reality is, we know that it is God who's working in us. I want to encourage you as we kick this off. So we come to this um, beginning of chapter 6. Jesus has, in chapter 5, been speaking primarily about relationships. And now there's a bit of a shift. There's a turn that goes on where he starts to talk about charitable giving. His first four verses of chapter 6. Just a quick, um, for those of you who aren't aware of this, this might be, in fact, this is really essential. What what have we got here? If you read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 as a sermon of Jesus, you'd probably get through it in about 20-25 20, 25 minutes. You could, you could, you could read it through. 20 minutes, maybe. Jesus is inevitably talking far more than that. What Matthew is doing is he's taking notes of what was being said, essentially, and he's gathering it together. And by God's Holy Spirit, he constructs uh, what, the, if you like, the journey of this message that Jesus has given. And it's a continuous process. Jesus did not say, right, we're going to stop for the interval now at the end of chapter 5 and say, let's just pause for a minute uh, and then we'll move on to chapter 6. There were no chapters, there were no verses in Jesus' message. It's not how he structured it. In fact, chapters first came in. Archbishop uh, Stephen Langton in the 13th century put chapters in place. It's great, chapters, because it allows us to all be on the same page. Before you could project it, and you know we're all there, we're absolutely in the same place, we've got to be, because it's up on the screen. Before that, chapters in books and pages allow us to make sure that we're all orientated together. And yet there are occasions when the chapter breaks can be quite unhelpful. Because they allow us to think that there is a disconnection. There's a disconnection in our thinking as we read. Jesus has said that. In fact, it's even more compounded very often these days with the way our Bibles are printed. This Bible here, you see the way it's printed. It's got little sections. So we come, love for your enemies, giving to the needy, prayer. It's as though it's even more sectioned up, disconnected. Almost the idea that what Jesus is saying is in little pockets uh, and they're not related to each other, but they are. And look at the what Jesus is saying. Think about what He's saying. He's saying, right, now let me talk about relationships and we'll talk a bit about relationships and then we'll really focus in on how to think about how I want you to live in a radically different way in terms of relationships when I start to talk about your relationships with your enemies. Uh, and that's, that that really starts to make a point, doesn't it? You know, we tend to think about we're comfortable with the idea of relationships when relationships are sort of people who we get on with, and Jesus says, now let's talk about enemies. And the next thing he talks about, sandwiched between relationships and prayer, is charitable giving. Hint. Jesus is saying, one of the ways in which you might be able to reflect a change, a radical shift, in your outlook towards relationships, is how you deal with your possessions. How you deal with your material possessions. What your attitude is, even towards your enemies. Do you see the way Jesus is constructing this? It comes right on the back of talking about enemies. He now talks about charitable giving. In other words, how we use... What God has first given us in the first place. That's really important, I think, as we see the way it's written. We love the idea of giving (laughs) Uh, when people are like us, when we get on with people. And yet Jesus is saying, now let me introduce this idea of a love for your enemy, a charitable outlook by moving straight on to talk about giving in relationship to enemies. He did exactly the same, didn't he? You know the story, the, the, the picture that he gave when somebody said, well, who is my enemy? Oh, sorry, who, who is my neighbor? They didn't say who's my enemy. They said, who's my neighbor? Let me clarify who's my neighbor. And Jesus said, well, let me describe your neighbor. Your neighbor is just like your enemy. It's the parable of the good Samaritan. Samaritan is one who was considered an enemy. And yet he becomes the one who expresses love and compassion to somebody who would be considered the enemy. But that love and compassion is not just time, it is more. It's material possession. He gives for the sake of the one who is robbed. It takes time takes financial resource. Fascinating, isn't it? What a challenge. I want to think about this in three ways. I think what Jesus is saying here is there are three aspects of security which are brought to our attention. There is the security of possessions, the security of recognition and security in God. We're going to work through each one of them. First, we come to the beginning of verse 1. Material security. Possessions. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, I'm going to stop there, even though it's a comma, I'm going to stop. Because Jesus in that sentence is creating a connection. He's saying practice your righteousness. How do you practice your righteousness at the end of the phrase by giving to the needy. You see that? He's saying one of the ways that you practice your righteousness is by giving to the needy. That's a... A statement in so many ways. Firstly, it's a statement of compassion, isn't it? A statement of compassion. We look at the needy and we give to the needy. It's a statement of compassion. But at the same time, it's a statement of my attitude towards that which I consider to be a security for me. We live in a world, don't we, which is wrapped up, probably more than ever, I I would suggest, with the idea that material possessions, in all sorts of different ways, are our security. Now, if I'm going to take some of my security, and I am going to give it, in the flow of what Jesus is saying, to the needy, who might also be my enemy... That's what Jesus is saying, isn't he? He's saying, I might give some of my possession. My possession, my material security, is weakened as a result of strengthening the needy. Our world, for many people, and for many of us here this afternoon, finds that a huge challenge. A huge challenge. Because we live in a world and we, we, we spend so much of our time, so much of our thinking, so much of our attitude working out how to be secure in this world. And we wrap that up by believing and shaping and creating in our approach and in our attitude that security is wrapped up in what I, in all sorts of different ways, have. Now, just before we take that too far, Proverbs makes it really clear that we are to be diligent in making sure that we provide by working hard. So I'm not wiping out that idea. What I am saying is what Jesus is confronting us with is that we tend to make our security that we tend to live in this world as though if i've got my if i've got my house if i've got my life insurance if i'm insured against this if i'm insured against that and by the way anybody who works in the insurance industry I I'm of no i'm not saying that insurance is a bad thing either not necessarily it's our attitude at a deeper level what do i really think is going to protect me i was uh, thinking about how how do we get this, how do I try to convey this? I thought, well, I'd I'd seen a program a few weeks ago about somebody over in America who was um, really terrified about the apocalypse. (laughs) They've got this idea that there's going to be this meltdown in kind of U.S. civil order. There might be, (laughs) there might be. But what they've done is uh, they've constructed for themselves... Uh, an apocalypse bunker 20 feet underground, this huge construction with its own water supply its own air filtering system, food and provision for uh, two and a half years I thought, that's really interesting you know, let's, let's find out a little bit about this so I went on online and actually there's a company that provides these things, you can buy them you can actually go on and online and buy one a a bunker an apocalypse bunker Uh, and you you, and then you start to see well which model do you want which model well you can have this model which um, provides sufficient protection for 10 families 10 families with an underground vehicle bunker three escape hatches and, and air filtering, water filtering, um, uh, composting, loo, the whole thing, a bulletproof um, entrance hatch, the whole thing. It's only $700,000 um, per module. It's fantastic. Dig a big hole, chuck it in, fill it up with soil, you're done, sorted, safe. And I thought, wow, isn't that incredible? the lengths that we might go to, to ensure that we survive, that we are safe, personally. You know, that's, we look at that, don't we, and we think, that's wacky. Somebody in the comments underneath, you know, online you can make all of your comments underneath, and somebody said, well, isn't a cyanide tablet a better idea? And I thought, wow, that's just, what what a crazy situation, what a world that we're living in. Two incredible extremes of answering this question. How might I personally cope with the crisis of apocalyptic proportion? One says, find a way to personally survive. One says, personally get out of it in a moment. Isn't it fascinating? Possessions are security. We think about that. Now, let me just suggest to you, all that is, is a very tangible, a very physical form of insurance. That's all it is. Just, we can point at that. We can touch it. We can feel it. It's just a form of insurance. It's a form of saying, I am going to hold on to this world and this life with the tightest of grips and I will not let it go and I will do absolutely everything in my power to make sure that everybody who is associated with me, who I love, is equally protected. That's what it's saying. And Jesus comes along and essentially says this. You are to consider, you are to think about your material possessions as that which is given for you to give charitably to those in need and strip yourself of your own personal securities maybe. How can we do that? How can we think about that? How is that even logical? We'll come to that at the end. So that's the first thing. Jesus says, I consider, my Father in heaven, considers that it is a righteous thing. It is a mark of goodness to be compassionate to those in need. That's the connection that we've made. So, he says, so when you give to the needy, Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So if the first security is a security in possessions, what's this security? What's going on here? Most of the uh, commentators looking at this particular verse... pretty much uh, unanimous now that what Jesus is using here is uh, a picture. A picture of a pattern of life. Most, there's no, it would seem as though there's no uh, evidence of trumpets being blown in terms of giving. That's what many would say now. And yet it's still relevant what Jesus is saying. He's saying the attitude, the way that people live is a bit like giving in a way which blows their own trumpet. (laughs) That's where we get the phrase. He's just blowing his own trumpet. You know, it's that I'll give, and I'll give and blow my own trumpet about the fact that I have given. So Jesus says this, okay, it is righteous for you to consider what you have and to consider that I do not see that as my security. Therefore, I can, I can support others in need. I, I can give to the needy, even if it's my enemy. It doesn't strip me of my security. But there is another way in which we can create a security. Another kind of security. A security which is rooted not in the security of possessions which tends to be, if you like, an introverted way of thinking. We have a security rooted in what people think of me. In other words, what people consider my character to be. That's my security. That's a righteous thing to give. Absolutely. But, it is also entirely possible... For me to create another kind of security in that very compassion. So my compassion serves another purpose. It serves the purpose of securing and building and creating my reputation in front of other people. And the way that I do that is making sure that they know that I've given. I want people to know how kind kind I am. How compassionate I am. How good I am. And Jesus says, Don't do that. Don't live in a way which makes sure that everybody knows what a good person you are. Don't blow your own trumpet just like the hypocrites. What Jesus is saying is essentially this. He remember what the foundation of this whole Journey that Jesus says, He says, For those of you who truly are following me, your righteousness needs to be greater than the Pharisees. So the Pharisees give. Oh, they give. No problem. They give. But their giving is self serving. It's self serving. It's designed to enhance their reputation. Now, in Roman times, there was a huge amount of charity that was going on. Huge amount of charity, but it was very, very specific charity. It was charity which was designed to make sure that I would be served. If you read uh, some of the uh, the writing of the of the time, what we find is this, that very rich patrons would be very charitable and they would be very... Uh, visibly charitable, because that would do what? It would win favor with those who they were charitable towards. And they would get them on board and that they would support them and they, they, they would love them. They'd be great. Al Capone did that. Al Capone did that. He was incredibly charitable. Not because he was a righteous man. Because he was a bad man who gave so that he could get the minions on board to protect him and support his network against the authorities. So charitable giving is not a mark necessarily of righteous goodness. Jesus is saying that's how it's working all around. There is another kind of giving. It's the kind of giving that is charitable, that is also displayed, that is also very much portrayed in Roman times. Giving to those who are charitably, to those who are richer. The giving of gifts to those who are richer. Only tiny gifts, only small gifts, but gifts that make sure that I get noticed. Make sure that I get noticed. So that when there's the next job coming up, then there's a possibility that I might be in there. Self-serving. My character is what's at stake. And, and, you know, the reality is that we could draw many conclusions, we could draw many comparisons, couldn't we? That our society lives with that kind of approach to giving... That kind of huge displays of philanthropy. Massive displays of goodness and kindness. And yet, displays of goodness and kindness which are designed and constructed so that the very giver is seen and recognized and valued and loved. Why do we do that? Because our security is now constructed in what people think of me. It's a different kind of security. But it's still a security that is rooted in this world. It's rooted in, what do you think of me? If I do this, do you think I'm a good person? Do you think I'm great? Do you think I'm kind? That's great. Well, if you you all start to think I'm kind, then I feel safe. You know the other suggestion that's made by this trumpet blowing? is the idea that one of the ways that it becomes a good thing, or one of the reasons that it was done, was so that lots more people could get on board with the venture. You know, we'll make a big display of this particular case. And if we get everybody on board, and you kind of think, wow, that is so, so close... To much of what we see. And, and isn't it a grey area? Doesn't it end up with us finding that we are in a place where even our good is tinged with unrighteousness. Even the good things that we do are marked with unrighteousness. Even the good things that we, we strive to display become very, the very sources of pride in our lives. Jesus says this. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. No recognition. Here's the question Is it secret? Is it secret? Well, it is in this world. But look at what he goes on to say. Then, your Father, that's a massive word that he uses there, describing God in heaven as Father. Your Father, the one who you are in relationship with through me, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the first security that we had was the security of keeping our possessions which righteous giving subverts, erodes away that security. The second security is created in giving and making sure that everybody knows that I give. And giving in secret erodes away that security. And here's the third security. The security of God knowing. The security of our Father in heaven knowing. Isn't that interesting? I I find it interesting because I think that our response, our desire to firstly to be safe, to be secure is something which God has written into us. But physical, material wealth in this world will never provide that. And secondly, to be valued and to be loved is also written into us. And yet that can never be secured in this world. And yet what Jesus says is, when your righteousness is a genuine, compassion-filled giving where you are letting go of that which is a security in this world and giving to those who are in need, God sees. Your Father in heaven sees. And two things are secured. Firstly, it says, He will reward you. (laughs) He will reward you. Secondly, it says, and what's more, You are in relationship with Him. He will love you and value you. That opens up all sorts of questions, doesn't it? What does it mean to be rewarded? How can it be that if I let go of the security of this world, whether it's in material things or whether it's in um, relationships, And value of being recognized and all of... If I let go of that, how is my security going to be worked out? I think it's worked out in the very model of Jesus. He becomes the model. He is the model of that. Philippians chapter 2 works it out for us. It says that there is a point at which Jesus, who being in very nature God... In very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. In other words, what it's saying is quite simply this. Jesus knew what it was to have absolute security in the presence of his Father. In all of the glory and majesty and wealth of heaven, absolutely we would say heaven in heaven in, as a human expression, Jesus was bulletproof. he was absolutely secure, and wealth and privilege beyond our imagination absolutely. Everything that you could imagine was Jesus' lot, and yet he became he stripped himself of his reliance on that, and he became a human being. He came into this world, he took on human flesh, along with all of that, all that that means, of being stripped of security, stripped of obvious visible relationship, and we see that he then lived in this world as a pauper. Nowhere to sleep, no home, no reliance on this world. Small group of friends, all of whom deserted him at the crucial time. All of whom deserted him. One who betrayed him and all who deserted him. So Jesus becomes materially and relationally bankrupt in this world. And yet, He displays exactly what God is calling us to display here. Because He doesn't rely on the material possession of this world, nor does He rely on the relational possession security of this world because He has in view a greater security. A security which is worked out like this. He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name. He re-established that which He had. And more if we see the way the way the bible explodes out the idea of jesus in his heavenly place he 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 reestablishes and some that which he first let go of to enter into this world he is the ultimate triumph and it is in that righteousness that we are secure It's in that righteousness. Having said that, as we said last week, even though our righteousness is in Him, even though our righteousness is secured in Him, this is also about laying out a pattern for living. And it's saying, okay, right, now, how do I live in this world? Jesus lived in heaven and didn't hold on to it. He came into this world. He then lived in this world, not not creating any security. Oh that, I, oh, that I would have, and I don't. Uh, and, and even saying it makes me feel uncomfortable, because I know that I am not in this place. But oh, that I could have the kind of attitude to this world, which was able to display that I do not rely on anything in this world. material possessions, relationships in this world, they're they're great, they're fantastic, but I do not rely on them one jot. They can be taken away in a moment. I wish that I could honestly say, I live like that. And I stand with Paul and say, the things that I would want to do, I, I find that I don't do. But I wish I did. I wish I was living in this world as though it was no security whatsoever. As though it was no security. As though it was no foundation. As though relationships in this world, as good as they are, are not securing. I wish I could live like that, because my mind would be taking me to an absolute security. A security which is assured, living in this world now, knowing that my home is in heaven. Or in the new heaven and the new earth that God is going to establish. Just as Jesus lived, Jesus lived in this world not hopelessly wondering whether it might turn out right. (laughs) He lived in this world stripped of relationship, stripped of possession because He knew. He knew that His his destiny was to return to the throne of heaven. He knew it. I wish that I could live knowing that my destiny is in the eternal security of And relationship of heaven. Present with Jesus. I wish I could live like that. And yet, even thinking about it might help me to take a few more steps towards living a bit more like that. Mightn't it? For all of us. Shouldn't it? For all of us. The more we dwell on that kind of way of living, that walk of life, If we think about that day in and day out. He's my security. He's achieved it. But I'm going to try and live like this. Because the reality is it can disappear like that. And it's gone. But my eternal home is never taken away. Battles for security. Where is our security?